welcome to Come Follow Me with Bree, episode 59, Integrity. Hello, everyone. I hope you all had a wonderful week of studying this past week's section about Liberty Jail. Those sections were just so beautiful and so moving and had so much stuff for us to learn from. So if you haven't listened to last week's episode, I really encourage you to go do it because it can give us such perspective on our own trials and we can really just learn so much from it. So if you haven't listened to last week, go listen to it. But this week we have a doozy of a section. It is something like, I didn't even count, like six pages or something. It is a long, long section filled with a bunch of different things um, seeming to kind of jump from different subjects and then has a lot of content in there that's directed towards specific people. It talks about the Lord's command for us always to be a people of building temples and performing ordinances in those temples. It talks about the baptisms for the dead. And at the time in Nauvoo, they um, once they heard about this doctrine, they started doing that just out in the river. And the Lord addresses that and says, it's okay for you to do it right here, but out in the world, I am not accepting those baptisms for the dead. But here in, in Nauvoo, where Zion is gathered, I will accept those baptisms until your temple is built. And then I expect those to be performed in the temple. And so just lot, lots of things. I'm not going to go through everything that is talked about in here, but really, really cool section. I'm going to give you a very brief just recap of the history that's between section 123 to 124. If you notice, there's actually a couple of years of time between section 123 to 124. And in that time, the saints had completely left and abandoned Missouri, and now we're in Commerce, Illinois, which is probably a name you don't super recognize because it was later named Nauvoo, Illinois, which in the Come Follow Me manual, it tells us that Nauvoo is Hebrew for beautiful. Here in Nauvoo, the saints get a little bit of rest. They get to build up their beautiful city. There's a lot of effort put into making sure that this was really a a, an official city with rules and laws and organization. It's here that they build up their temple and that the the Quorum of the Twelve leave basically a lot of them to go across the seas to England and have a very successful mission there. There also was some death of some important people like Joseph Smith Sr., who was the patriarch of the church, and Edward Partridge, who was the first bishop of the church. So a lot of history happened between the time of section 123 and 124. Now, there are a lot of things that stuck out to me in this section, but I'm going to focus on one and really just a phrase that the Lord says. In verse 15, he says, And again, verily I say unto you, Blessed is my servant Hiram Smith, because of the integrity of his heart, and because he loveth that which is right before me, saith the Lord. And then in verse 20, it says, And again, verily I say unto you, my servant George Miller is without guile. He may be trusted because of the integrity of his heart. And for the love which he has had to my testimony, I, the Lord, love him. What is a quality that the Lord values? Integrity. So I want to focus on a BYU speech that President Nelson gave in 1993 called Integrity of the Heart. And before I get too far into that talk, I want to mention something that he mentions at the beginning of his talk. And really, this has nothing to do with our topic. I just found it super interesting. So he says, many of you attended the Sunday Night Fireside recently when Howard W. Hunter spoke. We commend you for your conduct during that shocking confrontation by an adversary. Your spontaneous song of faith was inspired and effective. 
and you witness the great courage of that wonderful man whom we sustain as the president of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles, how we honor him. So that made me wonder what happened when President Howard W. Hunter spoke at BYU. So I'm going to just tell you really quick because I think I found it interesting, so I think you'll find it interesting too. The Church News reported, um, written by Sheridan R. Sheffield in February on February 13th, 1993. He says, A BYU stake fireside address by President Howard W. Hunter of the Council of the Twelve came to an abrupt halt for about 10 minutes on February 7th when a man walked up to the podium threatening to detonate a bomb. President Hunter was just beginning his address on adversity to 17,000 people in the Marriott Center when the 27-year-old man came out of the audience and walked onto the stand carrying a briefcase and a toy cellular phone wrapped in black tape. He approached President Hunter and told others sitting on the stand to clear the area, saying he had a bomb and a detonator. Everyone moved off the stand except for two church security officers who refused to leave President Hunter's side. President Hunter appeared calm and never responded to the man. When the incident was over, President Hunter continued his address without appearing shaken. The man handed a letter to President Hunter to read, but he refused to read it said Margaret Smoot, director of BYU Public Communications. She said the letter reportedly called for the release of the First Presidency and the Council of the Twelve and stated the man was to be the prophet of the church. About the same time, the congregation began to sing, We thank thee, O God, for a prophet, which seemed to distract the man, BYU officials said. In a quick turn of events, an older man from the audience tried to distract the assailant, but was shoved down. A student from the front row then sprayed the intruder with mace. Two security officers were able to apprehend the assailant and pulled him, pull him off the stage. About 40 to 50 students then converged on the man. He was handcuffed by university police and arrested. President Hunter was brought to the floor by security guards but was not injured. Following the arrest, President Hunter continued his talk, telling the audience, I want to tell you how good your voices sound. Isn't that such a cool story? I mean, not cool in the sense that it shouldn't have happened and that's terrible, but the inspired idea of the audience to sing to the man, to sing, we thank the O God for a prophet. Anyway, I just thought that was a really interesting story. So that's how President Nelson um, started his talk. Okay, so back to the actual topic that we actually are talking about. President Nelson says, Fishermen also understand the danger of sequential stress as it relates to the integrity of their nets. To the untrained, a small tear may seem to be relatively insignificant, but the experienced fisherman knows about sequential stress. A broken strand in his net may allow the loss of a fish or two, but more important, it causes undue strain on the adjacent strands. Before long, a small hole becomes larger and larger. Eventually, the entire net is worthless. Some people are so easily tempted to lie a little, to cheat a little, to steal a little, or to bear false witness, just a little. You cannot commit a little sin without being subject to the consequences. If you tolerate a little sin today, you tolerate a little more tomorrow, and before long, a cord of integrity is broken. Sequential stress will follow, putting at risk adjacent cords of chastity, virtue, being true, and so on. When I was younger, I struggled a lot with lying. It, I don't know what it was or where it started or what kind of, I don't know if it was like an inherent personality weakness or if something happened along the way that made me start to think that lying was, was a good idea or was somehow rewarding. I don't know what happened, but I certainly had a problem with lying. 
And I remember as an early teenager deciding that I wanted to stop lying so much. And some of the lies I would tell, they weren't even important to tell. I remember telling some and being like, why, why did I even feel the need to lie about that? And, or to, or to slightly distort a story I was telling or, or whatever. And so as I was starting to realize that this is not how I wanted to live my life, I started to try not to lie. And I will tell you, I very vividly remember it was hard. I lies had so easily started to come out of my mouth that it was hard to stop them at some at times. Like they would just it was like word vomit, <laughs> like they say in in Mean Girls, they would just come out. And even I would be in the middle of my lie and wonder to myself, why why am I saying this? This is this is not true. Why am I saying this? Why does this just come out of my mouth almost without even a thought? And so I had to really train my brain to not lie. And it took a while of practice. And every so often, so I would, I got a lot better at it. And every so often I would slip back into that word vomit where a lie would just come out. And I remember as I had gotten better at it and then one would pop out and I would just get so frustrated and wonder where that came from. But every time I did it, it made the next little lie pop out all that much more easily. And I think that relates well to what President Nelson is saying here. When we allow a little tear in our net, it makes the surrounding strands less stable, less strong, and less able to withstand that next temptation, that next stressor that is put on it. Now, I want to conclude that story with myself with a little bit of hope for anyone who's struggling with any sort of, of vice or sin that they that they struggle with. That weakness, as I worked on it, as I committed to not continue to lie, has become a strength of mine. I am very committed to not lying, and I feel like now lies do not come easily out of my mouth. And when I do, when when those just little, I'm not saying that I'm necessarily committing any big lies, but when little things that are just slightly untrue exit out of my mouth, they do not taste good. They really, really bother me. So in that sense, the Lord has taken my weakness, taken my weak things, and made them a strength. All right, President Nilsson continues, But none of us is immune to temptation, and the adversary knows it. He would deceive, connive, or contrive any means to deprive us of the potential joy and exaltation. He knows that if one little cord of control can be snapped, others are likely to give later under increased strain. Then there would be no integrity. Then there would be no eternal life then Satan's triumph would be assured. I really like the first part of what he said there. None of us is immune to temptation and the adversary knows it. I always really love reading phrases, especially in the Book of Mormon, that says things like, the adversary will lead you carefully down to hell. As much as I don't like it, the adversary, Satan, he knows me. He knows what my weaknesses are. He has seen things that I have struggled with throughout my life, and he knows where I am weak. So when we give in just a little, the adversary rejoices. I'm sure he is just thrilled to have that little hole in our net where our surrounding strands are weakened and we're that much more likely to give in the next time and the next time. Next, President Nelson reminds us of a warning that the Savior gave us. The Savior warned us of the lethal wages of sin, but he didn't limit his caution to major transgression alone. He specifically warned against breaking, quote, one of the least commandments. His admonitions were meant to protect and preserve your precious integrity. 
And that just goes back to what I was talking about with my lying. When I would, when I would hear one little lie, really stupid lies sometimes pop out of my, my mouth, they would upset me. And it also would somehow make the next lie pop out that much more easily. The same goes with when I have gotten a whole lot better about the the media content that I consume as far as um, TV shows and movies. And I don't think I was ever terribly bad, but I was finding myself watching shows that I knew, I knew I shouldn't be watching. And I think we all have those where we are watching them and they're the popular shows that are on right now and everybody's all caught up in the story and the stories are really good. But if we really thought about it and as we're sitting there, I think our spirit can feel that these shows are not helpful. They don't edify our day. They don't, they're not praiseworthy. They're not of good report. Um, they're not something that we should be seeking after and filling our days with. And I don't really remember exactly when it really clicked with me, but I, I think it was, I was watching desperate housewives and I know that's not, it's not the worst show out there in the world, especially considering all the newer shows that come out now that are just so, have so much even more content. But I really love that show. And as I was watching it, I could just feel I, I was enjoying it, but I also would just watch it and know that this was not a, a wholesome show that I should be watching. And one day I just stopped watching it. Because I, I could just feel my spirit being injured a little bit of at a time when I would watch it. And ever since then, I feel like I have done really well at only watching shows that make me feel good and that I feel like are, are edifying in some way. And that's not to say that, I, that I'm perfect. And of course, we know that a lot of the content out there, it's like... I don't know. I don't know what the perfect balance is, but I do know that my life and my the spirit in my life has improved dramatically now that I have kind of shunned those shows that really felt off to me, that really felt like I would absolutely not want my children to be sitting next to me while I watch this show and hear what I am allowing to enter into my ears. But I think we've all experienced where we get a little desensitized. We start watching shows like that. And then the stuff that feels bad to us at first doesn't doesn't feel as bad anymore. And it just kind of is a spiral. That's that hole getting bigger and bigger. So as President Nelson says there, his this admonition that the Savior gave us, warning us against breaking one of the these least commandments, President Nelson says his admonitions were meant to protect and preserve your precious integrity. Because he knows that once we open the door, that gets bigger and bigger and harder to control. President Nelson continues, The wise assess personal cords of integrity on a daily basis. You are the one to identify any weakness. You are the one to repair it. Indeed, you have an obligation to do so. Words of Isaiah, though referencing service to others, apply equally to ourselves. He said, Strengthen ye the weak hands and confirm the feeble knees. Say to them that are of a fearful heart, Be strong. I love thinking about saying those things to ourselves, that I need to strengthen my weak parts and and strengthen my feeble knees and to say to myself when I am fearful, and I think that fear, the fear that I am thinking of right now is when I when I have weakness that's really just right in front of my face and I am struggling with it, when I have that fear come upon me that how am I going to overcome this thing that I just, I have such a hard time for, I can say to myself, be strong. And I have the capacity to be strong through the grace of Jesus Christ, through the atonement. 
President Nelson then asks us a whole bunch of questions. So listen to these questions. They're so good. What do you do when you make a mistake? And then he jokes, if you don't make mistakes, you must have died long ago. Do you admit your error and apologize? Or do you deny it? Or do you blame others? Ugh. I know I have done all of those things. I have denied that I made an error. I have blamed others. And actually, just as I'm saying that, I'm thinking about I was a little grumpy with my husband just a few minutes ago as I was on the phone with him because I have to go pick him up from the airport. And it really messes with the schedule of my day. And I really wanted him to just have driven his own car to the airport and left it there because I feel like it just has made my day a little hectic. And Ultimately, I really don't have much of a reason to be upset because one, I have time to go pick him up. I just don't want to. And two, I didn't really protest when I took him to the airport in the first place. And it was just me that didn't think about the fact that I would then also have to come pick him up. So I should admit my error when I pick him up from the airport and apologize. (laughs) All right. So next questions. He says, when in a group, if ideas or activities are promoted that you know to be wrong, what do you do? Do you endorse error by your silence or do you take a stand? Man, this is a tough one even as an adult. I do feel like I've gotten far better at it, but man, think about your high school days. Wasn't it hard? It's it's one thing to not participate in the activity, but to actually say something, to stand up for what you believe is right, that can be hard. And I think in some situations, it's it's easier. And then there's other more subtle things where people might make fun of you or think you're being too extreme or, or whatever the situation may be. It's hard to stand your ground sometimes. And it's hard to speak up and not just sit there in silence. But it's interesting to think that that affects your integrity. That might be starting to weaken your net. And something that I have, have tried to work on, I am far, far from perfect at it. But I think one of the hardest ways to stand up is when people are gossiping about other people and speaking negatively about them. And I have found for a long time, one, I I have gotten, I do believe I've gotten better at not doing and participating myself, but it's even harder. I think even harder than getting yourself not to gossip and talk about other people. It's even harder to, to say something when a conversation is happening around you that, you know, really shouldn't be happening. And something that I've told my daughters whenever I hear somebody gossiping, because it's not necessarily, I don't think anyway, super effective to just blatantly call people out every single time. I think sometimes there is a place for that. But my favorite strategy that I feel like upholds my integrity is when I hear people talking badly about somebody else, I like to then jump in with my own compliment about that person. And I feel like that's a really subtle way that doesn't feel too abrasive to people. And I do think people pick up on it sometimes where it's almost like I'm telling them I'm uncomfortable with speaking negatively about that person just by complimenting that person. All right. So next question he asks us, if employed to do a job, are you totally true to your employer or do you let yourself be less than loyal? Now, It's been a long time since I've had a job where I had an employer because I've been a a stay-at-home mom for so long, but I know in my early 20s, 18, 19, 20, 21, I was not the best employee, and I certainly wouldn't have um, (laughs) been considered to have integrity in this area. I think I, I didn't try my hardest. I 
I mean, I guess that pretty much sums it up. I did not try my hardest. And so that's a question for those of you who are employed. Are you loyal to that employer? Um, But for myself, how I apply that to myself, one, I have a photography business, which actually I'm taking the year off. So I'm not really doing that a lot right now. But I have um, always tried to, with my clients, to be loyal to them. When I tell them that I will have their photo shoot back to them by a certain date, nearly without fail, I will meet that deadline. And I I consider that part of my integrity. And then I also think about that in the context of my church calling. So am I being loyal to my church callings, which is, you know, kind of a little job in a sense. It's kind of different than an actual employment job. But am I being loyal to that calling? Am I doing what I said I would do? And am I magnifying that calling? Next question he poses to us. How do you keep the Sabbath day, obey the word of wisdom and honor your father and mother? So three different commandment topics there, but all very important. I think all of those three things can fall under the category of do we look for excuses or or justifiable ways we can get out of being as good as probably we should be. Next, he says, if you have made sacred covenants in the temple, how do you react when you hear evil speaking of the Lord's anointed? Ugh, that's, a, that's a good one. So, Something especially in the last year and a half as we've dealt with this pandemic and a lot of political upheaval, how have you reacted when the Lord's prophet and apostles have been criticized, have been have been challenged, have been spoken badly about? How have you reacted in those situations? And then with your local leadership, how have you reacted when people are upset about your local bishop? And that's not to say that we shouldn't ever challenge um if we really think something is is wrong or going on, because things do happen. I know for myself, I've kind of applied the same principle that I did when I talked about when I hear other people gossiping about other people. When I've heard people talk, speak poorly about the my local leadership, I try to then say a positive thing in response to their criticism. And that tends to either A, be picked up by the person I'm speaking to, and I think they kind of get that I don't want to criticize. And then B, I feel like it upholds my integrity of not participating. Next question. Do you honor all covenants made there, or do you allow exceptions and rationalize your behavior to suit your preconceived preferences? Now, this is... um, a very big subject. And I actually recently had a conversation with somebody about what I think about some of the obligations that we we make there and promises we make to wear our garment. And that conversation really has made me really reflect inwardly and make sure that my behavior is consistent with what I told that person my opinion was. The next question he gives us, how do you honor your word? Can your promises be trusted? I was listening to an interview recently, and it was um, this guy interviewing a cowboy. And the cowboy was talking about the cowboy's code. And one of the things he talked about is that your word is your bond. And I think we all know that to some extent, we have really lost that as a society. And so I just want to challenge you to really think about when you promise something, when you tell someone you're going to do it, does that person really believe you're going to do it based on your past actions? I hope for myself that that is the case. I do think that there are areas, there are some areas where I'm really, really good at it. And then there's other areas where I might not uphold that quite as well. But this is a conversation that I actually have with my sisters quite frequently that that we get frustrated. What my sisters and I, I would say that we're 
people pleasers and we don't want, we would far rather inconvenience ourselves than another person. And so it's confusing to us sometimes when people commit to something and then they back out at the last second without a really good excuse and um, and basically just aren't loyal to the people that they they make commitments to. And obviously there's a balance in there somewhere because I do think that my sisters and I, we probably could be benefited by allowing ourselves a little bit more grace. And when something isn't working out or there is a problem, that we don't try so hard to not convince inconvenience others that we really kind of dishonor ourselves. But then there's the other end of the spectrum where many people that I have encountered are willing to very much inconvenience other people and go back on their on what they said that they would do in an effort to not inconvenience themselves. So I think that there's there's a balance somewhere in there. I feel like the balance is closer to honoring your word at all times rather than rather than not. So just something to think about about where you lie on that spectrum. And I think part of that spectrum is making sure when you, when something does come up where you need to, I don't even want to call it going back on your word, because if you're communicating with that person and you're being respectful about their, their time and their involvement in the situation, then I I think that your word can be revised to some extent as far as like daily life living. But then there's also thinking about temple covenants and the your word to the Lord and how you have upheld that. And I think that that's where repentance comes in. That's us communicating with the Lord. Hey, I did not uphold this perfectly and you repent for it. And we are told that we will be forgiven for that. President Nelson quotes Carl G. Mazur. He said, I have been asked what I mean by the word of honor. I will tell you, Place me behind prison walls, walls of stone ever so high, ever so thick, reaching ever so far into the ground. There is a possibility that in some way or another I may be able to escape. But stand me on that floor and draw a chalk line around me and have me give my word of honor never to cross it. Can I get out of that circle? No, never. I die first. President Nelson continues, a promise is binding either until fulfilled or until one is released from it. So that's kind of what I was talking about with when you communicate with somebody, you gave somebody your word, you would do something, but then you communicate how circumstances have changed or whatever needs to happen, and you're able to revise that commitment with them. He continues, now please don't be discouraged or depressed by your shortcomings. No one is without weakness. That's part of the divine plan to determine if you will master that weakness or let that weakness master you. Proper diagnosis is essential to proper treatment. The Lord gave us this remarkable assurance because thou hast seen thy weakness, thou shalt be made strong. Isn't that cool how that implies that there is weakness there? There in all of us, there is weakness there and it's just up to us to see our weaknesses and then the Lord will strengthen us. He continues, but wishing for strength won't make it so. It takes faith and work to shore up a weakened cord of integrity. Next, he quotes Jesus. He says, because thou hast seen thy weakness, thou shalt be made strong, even unto the sitting down in the place which I have prepared in the mansions of my father. Weakness is in all of us. And luckily, as we can see in so many parts of the scriptures, that does not keep us from the kingdom of God. What keeps us from the kingdom of God is our inability or unwillingness to see that weakness and then do something about it. President Nelson then talks to us about Job. He says, your personal integrity will be protected by prior commitments. 
Job secured his commitment to integrity before facing a challenge. He wrote, All the while my breath is in me and the Spirit of God is in my nostrils, my lips shall not speak wickedness, nor my tongue utter deceit. Till I die, I will not remove mine integrity from me. Job knew he would face his Maker one day in judgment. He recorded this hope, Let me be weighed in an even balance that God may know mine integrity. What kinds of things have you decided beforehand that is a part of who you are, a part of your character that you will have integrity about? Hopefully everything, but I think we all know areas in that we are weak. And as Job shows us here, it is helpful to make those decisions beforehand and already have that decision in mind so that when the time comes, you're prepared to uphold that piece of your integrity. President Nelson ends with some encouragement. He says, To you I would give such counsel as the prophet Joseph Smith gave his friends. Seek to know God in your closets. Call upon him in the fields. Follow the directions of the Book of Mormon and pray over and for your families. And all things that you possess, ask the blessings of God upon all your labors and everything that you engage in. Be virtuous and pure. Be men and women of integrity and truth. Keep the commandments of God, and then you will be able to more perfectly understand the difference between right and wrong, between the things of God and the things of men, and your path will be like that of the just, which shineth brighter and brighter unto the perfect day. God bless you that you may achieve the full measure of your creation, to maintain, to strengthen, and cherish your integrity of heart. I want to end with my a final thought about who our God is. Our God is a God of integrity. He will do what he said he will do. He will fulfill all of his promises. He cannot lie. And our ultimate goal is to become like him. And so instead of getting discouraged that you are not of perfect integrity right now, be filled with hope that his goal is to get you there. So think about areas where your net might have a little bit of a tear. And get to work on fixing that part of your net so that that hole doesn't become any larger. And I can testify that as you fix those areas that you struggle with, it will become easier and easier. And the more often you make those choices that uphold your integrity, the Lord will make those weaknesses truly become your strengths. And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.